Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm Rob Richardson. I'm James Keyes. I'm Tunde Romano. And I'm Amisha Cross. Hey, if you're watching us on YouTube, I would ask that you subscribe. We, we need more followers. We want to hear from you more. Please write some comments as well. If you happen to be listening to us on Apple Podcasts or if you're listening to us on Google Play, please subscribe. Please write a review. That's how more people can hear about us, can learn about our content. You can also send us an email, disruptionnow at gmail.com. We have an email list that we send out weekly. You can hear about our upcoming shows. You can hear about where we're going to have live events. We really want to engage with you, so I hope you get a chance to do that. But for now, we want to talk about black male privilege. So when you, when you hear about privilege, you often will hear about white privilege, uh, being rich privilege, but you rarely will hear anything about black pri- privilege, particularly black male privilege. And when I talk to most black men, they look like, what are you talking about black male privilege? Like, I want to know what, what you're talking about. I don't see any privilege, but I want to have this conversation. Does that exist? Should we talk about it? What does that look like? Are there differences between privileges when it comes to black women and black men? Are there differences in economic mobility? Actually, the data shows that there are some differences, and we really, really want to take a deep dive into that. But for now, I want to start with Amisha as, our, uh, as the only woman on this panel, black woman on this panel. Do you think there's black male privilege? And if so, why? Absolutely. And I think that we have to look at it contextually within within the black male group. At the end of the day, um, education will always be a privilege, regardless of what your race is. And we've seen um, we know that there are black men who have who have college degrees, who have advanced degrees. Um, that's a very small percentage of the overall black male population. So if you've gone to college and graduated, you have a certain level of privilege. If you're a black man who has never gotten a conviction, you have black male privilege because you have you, you have, you're able to build economically in a way that some who have are not. There are a lot of instances where black male privilege exists. If you're somebody who is a black man who has amassed a strong credit rating, you have black male privilege. I think that it has to be looked at in the context of a means for you to be able to get ahead because there are so many black men who are struggling, um, in many cases not by reasons of their own, and there are others who are doing better, and there are those who still have some hurdles to climb. And no, and no real, um, and, and they didn't do anything to cause it. There was nothing that they themselves did. Once we look at all the issues with our criminal justice system, there are a lot of people there who should not be, quite frankly. If we talk about those who are excelling at college, there are a lot of people who haven't seen a college campus who would be great on that college campus, but didn't have somebody in high school who pushed them to actually apply or didn't have the money for the applications. Like there are a lot of things that are inherent um, within, especially uh, black males who grew up in urban centers or grew up without having that type of um, background at home or anybody in the community who is investing in them that makes it a lot more difficult than those who might have had that opportunity. Right. James. I know I look at the the privilege discussion a little differently just from the standpoint of like the, are, are you privileged relative to another group? You know, so I would say that black men have certain privilege in terms of how they're perceived uh, relative to, say, black women, you know, like and I think that's a bad thing. But, you know, I, I'm not someone who thinks that that I think we need to make the effort to try to see people for who they are and not for just what they are. But just for example, men in generally have privilege over women generally. When you look at the the presidential election, for example, people look at Joe Biden and say, yeah, that guy's electable. But if you look at, um, you know, a, a woman who may be just as, had better credentials even, then people will say, oh, but I don't know if she's electable or they'll find reasons to to, to, to not like her. I think AOC is another example of this where if, if she was a man, then- Amisha loves AOC. I don't like her myself, so. <laughs> hey, hey. 
I, I, I like her. And I think that if she was a man, then most, much of the perception about her would be different, you know, instead of being unrealistic and naive, she would be idealistic. And so I think that that's inherently going to transfer over. If you're talking about within black folks, that black men would have certain privilege against uh, black women. And some of it, or a lot of it probably isn't earned. You know, now when you talk about individuals versus other individuals, then yes, your actions oftentimes are going to have a lot to do with uh, how your, your aptitude, you know, and how far you can go. Uh, but at the same time, sometimes it's not your accident. Sometimes it's things outside of your control that can, that can, can um, affect that because poverty is something that will knock you down. No matter how smart you are, poverty makes you start the race 50 yards behind everybody else. So, but when I talk privilege in general, though, my it's in wise, I, I think more so as a, as a relative concept. Me too. Me too. I want to have this in context as well. So I view that black men do have some privilege, particularly when it comes to black women, but in a certain context. What do, so what do I mean by that? When black men reach a certain status, I do believe that they have they have more privilege when they reach the same status as a black woman might. So when a black man happens to get there to a position of corporate America, uh, I've heard this from a lot of from a lot of female friends that a lot of black men are not usually very supportive and they have more of an advantage because they're able to link up better just by just by being a man. They can link with another man, even if it's a white man and has some advantages once they reach that level. But what I will say is that I think the hurdles for some black men to reach that level are harder sometimes for black women early on, you know, from not going to jail, from not having run ins with the police is even more difficult, though. Black women are starting to go to jail on a high level. Uh, females in general go to less on a, uh, go to jail on a must on a much lower rate than males overall. So when 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 you when, when black males have to overcome the criminal justice system police and then not being killed by other black men, frankly, there's a lot of other hurdles that black men have to overcome. And, and what study after study has shown is that actually black women as a whole are actually advancing economically and black men are actually going backwards. Even if they, even if the black men start off in wealthy families, which is kind of depressing. So I think but that's there's, not a privilege thing though. That's like, I, I mean, the privilege, that's part my point. Of it I think saying- it's less of a privilege. Well, no, but that's saying that, that that actually illustrates that the privilege is not earned. You know, when when black men are perceived a certain way relative to black women, if you get into. Oh, I agree. I said, I, I, it's I, not earned. I, I, well, they, we're they, we're actually should, not disagreeing. I, I said it's a narrowly okay. tailored one, though. Overall, it's not as it's not nearly as wide as most other privilege. Tunde. Um, I uh, feel more privileged than other groups when I'm walking down a dark alley that I'll be safe because I'm a six foot four black man. So, um, yeah, I, I guess there's certain areas where uh, we have a little bit more privilege. Like I was joking to you guys when we were off kind of off camera there that um, when I lived overseas, I felt very, I felt very privileged when I went to play basketball because they looked at me as a black American dude and said, wow, we want him. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there's definitely uh, uh, areas where we can be privileged. Whether they're areas that matter or not is a whole different story. I, I thought you were going, going going to talk about how you feel privileged on the dance floor next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the few black men that has no rhythm. So, oh, so hey, man, you start that's moving. That's, that's the privilege. If you start moving, people be like, "Yo, he probably that, that's yeah, probably must be what dance. people are doing now." Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's where I get embarrassed because everyone assumes I can dance. Really quick, I had the same story because I went to China, and obviously, when you go to China and you're a tall black man, everyone's like. Now, I was there for the University of Cincinnati. We were helping to open a new school, but every single student waited in line to get my autograph and take my picture. And I'm like, 
it's the only time this 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 stereotype worked in my favor. So I was going to go ahead and milk yeah. it. But go ahead. No, nah, so I, I lived in uh, Australia and I'd been to Japan and all that. And it, it was like I was a rock star. That's why I was joking, saying, yeah, it was a privilege out there being a young black dude. So, um, but no, I think um, it's interesting. A lot of things that you guys are bringing up is actually more tilting towards male privilege. I was surprised when Barack Obama beat uh, Hillary Clinton for the nomination in 08, because I personally thought that America would elect a white woman before a black man. And that was kind of a lesson to me that, you know, maybe the, the kind of sexism thing is even a little bit more strong than racism because maybe or just Barack Obama was a fantastic candidate. And Hillary was really, really bad. Yeah, I was going to say now you got to be careful. Uh, make taking too much from Hillary Clinton's performances in election. She's good for losing an election. Yeah, look, I get it. And I get it. I know that there's a lot more moving pieces to that one than just that. But um, it was a little bit of that, too. I think subconsciously, a lot more people just look at like a male as the father figure. More and some the, people consciously, especially when yeah, they exactly. thinking about a commander in chief, they don't see that exactly. woman. And, and it goes back to the point that was made just now earlier about, you know, if someone were looking at Joe Biden today versus one of the female candidates, one of the females might actually be way more competent than him or, or, or qualified. Let me put it that way. Then. Um, but because he's just a man that kind of people just lean, like you said, the default to me show that, well, he's a commander in chief, he's a CEO type. He's, and we usually stereotype that as men. And I think it goes back to everything we've talked about, even on prior uh, discussions that it goes back to our culture. And like, it's funny, I noticed recently for the first time I've seen cleaning commercials where like with Swiffer and Mr. Clean stuff where, where the, the actor cleaning the house is a man. And it's kind of cool. Like, it made me realize, like, wow, that's cool. I guess, you know, we're finally at a point where it's not the stereotype that it's the woman staying at home. Or you can clean houses. <laughs> well, I wanted to add something on this that I thought um, is really it, it, how you can identify privilege very easily. And this is any type of privilege, whether it's black male privilege or, or white male privilege or anything, is you can compare the same behaviors. You know, the same behaviors when if a woman acts a certain way, if a woman acts like a jerk, then oftentimes people will be turned off by it and say, Hey, you know, that, you know, she, yeah, they got a word for it that they use, you know, and, and, but if that same man acts like, or if a man acts like a jerk, then a lot of times they're like, yeah, he's assertive. He's aggressive. You know, we need that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the same behaviors are tolerated or even aspired to by a man. And then when a woman does it, then it's, it's looked down at. But that's or a good point. But black men, but black men, but black men are seen differently, right? If we come out too strong, we're the angry black man, just like the angry black woman. Possibly, but but then that you're crossing race in, in that because that's again it's relative. It's relative. You're crossing race at that point. But even if you look at beyond just like if it, if it's black and white, even for example, I know remember um, a few years ago, maybe a decade ago at this point. But Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, um, you know, was explaining, hey, you know, it, if you see any big guy walking down the in an alleyway in the middle of the night, you'll be scared. You know, that's just just what it is. If you see, you know, Chris Birdman Anderson, which is a white guy with like a big mohawk and tattoos everywhere. If I saw him walking down the street, I'd be just as scared if I saw some random black guy. And it's like, man. You can be a random black guy and scare a white guy, or you can be a white guy who's seven feet tall and has like a mohawk and tattoos everywhere. And that's kind of the same thing. You know, and it's like, wow, you know, I got, I didn't know I would be as scary as that guy who, you know, is, is 
had much more outwardly appearance in terms of an outwardly appearance, excuse me, as an outwardly appearance, that's much more extreme than mine. And so again, same behaviors or, or things being taken the same, even though the behaviors are divergent. So, I guess, so, so that, this actually leads me to a good transition that I wanted to talk to Amisha about. Let's talk about black men, particularly in professional context, because I'm sure you, you, you have stories and things we could talk about here. This is what I like to talk about. Like, is it hard to find support for men particularly black men outside of other expectations. And what I'm talking about is sex or anything like that. Cause I want to be very direct because I do think, you know, women have to deal with that in the professional context that men don't have to deal with. We don't have to worry about, okay, if we, if we're going on this professional, if we're going on this drinks, like, is she going to hit on me? Half the time the men won't care, but the other, but the other half, they don't have to worry about that. Cause the power situation isn't there. Amisha. No, no, absolutely. And I, I can say, you know, coming up in um, government and politics, it's something that is always there. It's a predominantly male field. Um, with that being said, yes, they take every umbrage they possibly can to cross the line often. And it's kind of like a good old boys club in the way you react to it. You don't want to be too aggressive and like, hey, you know, F off, whatever, because then your potential career growth is gone, but you also don't want them to think that this is okay. And I think that, you know, there's a delicate balance there. Sometimes, personally, I think the Me Too movement goes too far, but I also feel as though men should know better. Um, yes, you're going to be working with women, and sometimes you might be working with younger women, attractive women, whatever. Um, they're here to do a job, and there's a certain amount of respect that should go along with that. And I don't think that that's always done, and that's not a black man thing. That is a man thing yeah. in general. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a male definitely man thing. That's, that's definitely a man. That's male Chris Rock, maybe Chris Rock had a joke on that. You know, like, women get offered sex every day of their lives. You know, men, you know, if, if something happens where a woman is propositioning them, they're like, hey, this is my lucky day. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's, so it's a constant for women to have to deal in any setting, you know, what guys are eyeing them guy like, and, and they just have to learn how to deal with that's a male privilege, you know, and it's definitely and so a male privilege. Obviously that's going to be a black male privilege as well. When you're, when you're saying relative to black women. And just like we and talked about who you would actually report it to, because in many cases, the leveraging handle you have is also a man. Correct. Mm -hmm. Which the is the level of comfortability you may have is not going to be there either. Which is mm -hmm. why, just like we talked about in our prior show, when we talked about white privilege, when it comes to black men, Black men and males in general have to hold other men accountable for us to really move past that. And otherwise, we create safe spaces for toxic behavior against women. I mean, I think that's where we have to do. We have to say that, you know, when we hear things going on, we, we shouldn't tolerate it. We can. And all of us have heard the, the, the locker talk at some point. And what the Me Too movement have done successfully, I think, is at least brought a heightened level of awareness. You know, I talk to my adopted son all the time, more than I probably would have pre the Me Too movement to make sure he absolutely 100% understands what affirmative consent is and that he understands boundaries that, cause that's just, that is more important. That's a conversation. And my parents are great, but that's not a conversation we really had explicitly. I mean, we talked about respect, but I think we have to have, we have to have a more explicit conversation about it now, but in general, it's been very, very positive because it's made men more aware of their own stupid behavior and, or, or their tolerance thereof. Well, it's difficult, though, and that's the part of the problem here is that navigating these situations, people want it to be easy. You know, people want it to say, oh, well, I can just do this or I can do that or I can't do this or I can't do that. And people say, well, why can't it just be easy? And you know what? Life isn't easy. You know, everything's not easy. And so it is delicate to some degree. Like there is an interaction between men and women that is there that sometimes isn't just the woman saying, hey, I'm digging you. Come over here. Sometimes it's a signal. You're trying to read a signal. And so I understand, you know, people taking their shot. But at the same time, there has to be a level of respect that either, you know, when and when not to do that. Or you try it and work. You should never do it. Never do it at work. <laughs> never, right. ever, ever. I, 
from a personal philosophy, I'm with it, but there are plenty of people who get married, you know, meeting each other at work. And so I'm not, I'm not the one to say that they should, you know, they should never do that. Now, when you have those power dynamics, it becomes different, but even still, I'm just, my overall point is that stop trying to make everything easy or stop complaining that something isn't easy because everything in life isn't going to be easy. In this case, this is again, about back to humanity, treat people with the respect that you would want to have treat, you know, that you would want to be treated with. And so, yeah, if you, if you think there's a signal coming, you want to take your shot, do so respectfully, but at least I think the hardest part is that for some men, you know, the reaction from one woman varies very drastically. Correct. 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 No, it's hard. Have to just, you know, uh, moderate their behavior in a certain way, and I, I, I do agree with you there. I think that it does become difficult. It's hard. It's hard. There's no two ways about it. It's hard. Like some women would want you to approach in a more aggressive way. Some women would, you know, would not and would be offended and would be on the phone with a lawyer the next day. And you know what? That's the risk you got to take. You know. And so, and I'm not going to feel sorry for right. you know, don't, somebody. Don't in that take the risk at work. Gotta, That's what I would tell you. you. Don't take any risk at work. Or politics. <laughs> like I said, that's personal. That's my personal philosophy. But I also try not to, you know, try, try not to put my sensibilities on everybody. You know, like I don't think it's smart to to do a lot of things where you sleep. You know, and but you know that, that that's my sensibilities, and I understand other people. You know, like 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 convenience. Right. I want to move to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I want to move to the last point. When you think about black men and economic mobility, you know, there's been there's been several articles on this that's that's shown essentially, even if a black man is born to wealth, he's still going to do not as well as his white male peers, not even close. And, you know, he still actually goes behind where he was overall. Like just as a question, like, what do you think is the driving force of that? What is going on there? Because, you know, I really don't know. I mean, I do know that we have the ability to do what everybody else do. I don't think we're inferior, but I'm sure there's some other things going on. And what do you think we can do to actually address that? Because it's something that I'm sure all of us kind of just think about it. Anybody can take that. I think that you have to look at, at societal pressure with that. Like when you are, when, when I grew up as a high achieving uh, young black male, um, Amisha had already indicated, you know, or, or already kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, it might've been the previous one, but the, the, the pressure that was on me was, well, why are you high achieving? Like what's, what's going on with you? Is yeah. something wrong with you? Are you, do you want to be of another race? Um, and now my, myself, you know, I, I had didn't that care. Same thing you know, too. I, 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 yeah. I block all that stuff out. I'm going to be me. Me too. And that's just yeah. how it's going to be. And so I was okay with that, but I had friends that were very bright and that stuff really wore on them. And they felt like they yep. had to actually come down to a level that was more acceptable yep. to the people around them and to society, society at large. And then there's also the targeting issues that you have when anytime you're a black male and you go out, you have to be aware and you have to be alert, whether it's you, you have to be aware from law enforcement or you have to be aware from other black males or you have to be aware for, you have to be on top of it because anything can happen at any time. And, you know, but when society looks at you a certain way, then you have to be aware of that heightened scrutiny you're getting from every, everywhere you look, everywhere you go. Yeah. I I think we have to associate a few things with it because black economics is very complex. Um, at the end of the day, right now, we're also looking at the fact that, um, well, people in general are putting off mirrors show later in life. But with black people, there's a different story here because we are the only race that does not automatically elevate economically after we get married. And in large part, that is black men are not um, are, are not making as much as other 
as other races of men. But in addition to that, we, there is also the um, the framework around the fact that most Caucasian families contribute to the wedding costs, contribute to the process of purchasing your first home. This is not something that's common in the black community. So you're taking on all of that debt load as a new couple in a way that they are not. In addition to that, I would also say that I went to the um, National Black MBA um, conference last year. And one of the stats was that for black males to get to where black women are right now, educationally, it would take another 300 years. I don't think that we can underscore just how important education is and where black men are falling in that in that arena and we can talk about it as much as we want but we also have to look at the fact that teachers are contributive to that we don't have enough black men in the classroom we don't have enough black mentors in the community we do have a disillusionment of the family and i think that as a core we have to look at those things in terms of our progress no i mean i, I those are really good points and really trying to understand that um we also need to address black male issues uh, there hasn't been, I don't think there's been a lot of talk about that. There's obviously, and there's nothing wrong with that. There needs to be space for black women. I hear that as a, as a really extreme focus, which it should be. But I also hear when you talk about black men having their own space, I've seen a lot of strong reaction from black women and other women like, well, why do you guys need your own space? And so actually, if you look at the numbers, there needs to be something that we're doing to pay attention to where black boys are going. It doesn't mean we're excluding black women. It just means there's something unique here going on with black men. And honestly, in order to be able to solve generational uh, wealth, that has to be solved. Because as you said, Amisha, actually black women are pulling up. But, it's, but, but overall, because usually black women marry black men and vice versa, when the marriage happens, then you don't actually get that same wealth building. So making sure we figure out how to have real specific conversations and policies that look at black men are also very, very important. That's not popular to say. I hear no candidate talking about that. It's, it's, it's not, and it's difficult. And, and, and if you are a black woman, and I've been in those rooms and have to have those conversations as well, and, and do argue for not necessarily separatism, but a space where there is an understanding what's going on with black men, because yes, we may start off at the same point. If you're black, the majority of black people in this country, seven and 10, grew up in single parent households. A lot of us grew up in urban areas. A lot of us grew up in poverty. I grew up in a single parent household, grew up impoverished, you know, welfare, food stamps, you name it. It is what it is. I met my dad after I graduated college for the first time in life. So for me, it was, yes, I put myself on a path, but I also had a mom who pushed me very hard. And I can argue that and have talked to several and have interviewed several black women. The way that they raise their black boys, particularly single moms, is very different than the way that they raise their black girls. We are raised to be independent, to make things, to keep on pushing, regardless of anything else. I think that there's a certain level of coddling. There's a certain level of I have to protect my black son in a way that is not the same. I think that in some ways it's crippling. But on top of that, black women have an understanding that once black boys are not the same as they are for black women, I think that we really have to be serious about that and recognize that a lot of those are what's causing the impediments to their economic growth and their lives, quite frankly. Well, and one thing I want to add, too, because it made me realize um, just from my own experience and what I do for a living, um, I think there's uh, some cultural gaps that um you know, black Americans still have that other groups don't have. Um, and one of them is estate planning, um, just generally. I mean, that's just what I'm saying. When you're talking about Rob, how come the next generation doesn't have wealth maybe the same way as the prior generation in certain instances, a lot of it is education. Um, so one of the things is, is that, um, you know, I have this kind of bad joke that I say sometimes that, you know, we've had legal integration for 50 years, but culturally one of the areas 
as a, as kind of a group that we are still far behind is these discussions about multi-generational wealth transfer. Um, I have, in my own practice, have had dealings with black families that are millionaires and successful where it'll be pennies on the dollar to buy, let's say, a life insurance contract that would offset some big taxes that will come out when the parent dies from, let's say, a qualified plan or something. And I've had that person look at me, I should say persons, because it's happened more than once, um, and just say, well, no one ever helped me when I was coming up. Why would I do this? Why would I spend my money on this? And I remember one time I got pissed off at a guy, and I said, you know who doesn't say that? Because I, I just had it. And I pointed east to where, you know, the, the, the beach and the wealthy community. I said, you know, it's a funny thing. You know who doesn't say that? And he said, who? I said, my Jewish clients. I said, because when I come in the door and some of my older clients that are of that group, they'll actually, if the grandkids are around, they'll bring them in the room and say, hey, this is Mr. Tunde. He's, he's our financial planner. He's our wealth manager. You know, he's the one that's in charge of the trust and all that. And when I, when I die, you guys are going to be calling him. There's a different level of, of kind of openness about that type of stuff that we still haven't, as a culture, embraced. And, um, and the other is, um, I think part of it is still this transition that we haven't made fully yet generationally um, out of segregation to integration and all that. Because when I talk to some of my clients that they talk about their families, and I had a meeting earlier today where the um, a gentleman who's going to be 70 soon, African-American, now he's an academic, he's done well for himself, but he was telling me about his uncle. His uncle owned just a bunch of land, multiple businesses in North Carolina. He was telling me that he was had this building, that he had this going on. And during the war, the Second World War, he was selling barbecue out the back to all the troops that were coming through uh, Camp Lejeune in, in North Carolina. And what I realized, I was thinking about it is, it's interesting, I guess, through segregation, a lot of blacks at the time were just forced to be entrepreneurial. So they, they, they just had to figure it out and just went and started their own businesses and all that kind of stuff. But what happened is they, they ascended to the point where they could do something where they sent their kids to school and their kids became academics, you know, and, and just didn't earn as much because they became part of the mainstream system. Whereas an entrepreneur, if you're successful, you usually end up making right. more well, and, and, and doing better and than there's the actually, average. And there's, and there's another part of that, the ecosystem that was created then, right? There are whole communities that were mostly African-American that were totally abandoned after segregation. Correct. But that's what I'm saying is that we're still only probably a generation or two from that. So that's why I think part of it is those effects that you, at one point you had a certain economic ecosystem like when you had the thing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Black Wall Street or other communities that allowed for um, this black wealth to generate in a different way than has happened since kind of integration and all that went away. So I think you've got several of those cultural factors in there as well that, that play a part. I think a large factor that you can't uh, minimize, and this requires looking in the mirror. This is the first point you made as far as the, um, when you have clients who say, you know, my, nobody helped me. Why would I do that for my kids? Um, that permeates to a lot of, that permeates to a lot of things though. A lot of behaviors. Um, when I look around, um, I see that African-Americans don't always take advantage of the, the, what may be the best practices to build wealth or to build, you know, themselves or their family unit up. Um, the most basic being marriage, you know, it, it's easier to advance if you're married and you have two partners working on the same task versus one. Now that is a loaded thing because it's hard to be married. 
you know, being married goes into picking the right person to marry both people being equally committed to the actual partnership and to the objectives of what's going on. But, and both people having, having, having good employer prospects. I'll say that because actually the data doesn't prove that point out. Because even when black women get married, actually, we tend to go backwards. So it's actually that's not something that immediately t- kicks in, though. That's something that helps over generations. You know, that, that's one of the tools that you can use to uh, to, to improve. Your I get what you're saying. You know, like so. Yeah, it, it has to be a insurance. Well, yeah. yeah, but life insurance. I mean, I, I look marriage is something it's easier to accomplish something with two people than it is with one. Oh, yeah. You sure. know, so yeah. it, it's two if, people if headed in the same direction. Well, the yeah. mitigating factor for people is that they need to get educated. They need to get a job and they need to be married before they have kids. I wouldn't dispute that at all. I wouldn't dispute that at all. But nonetheless, that's one of the things that can be left on the table sometimes. And the same way that life insurance is something that can be left on the table. Now it was illegal for people, for black people to buy life insurance for so long. So, but now it's not. <laughs> so yeah, who great. But the mentality has been, been, been why, why should I do this? And trying to get that mentality out, out of our head that we but shouldn't help look, each you other. You have to look in the mirror for that. I yeah, agree. You have to look no, in the mirror I, for I that. agree. That's and, all, and, that's all internal. I don't but, disagree. What are the available now? Granted, there are probably policy decisions that can be made to make this better. Some of it, though, has to a good part of it has to come from the the, the people who want to make a change and who want to be that change and have that permeate. We, we, we spoke earlier about how Barack Obama and Michelle Obama created an image that was so beneficial for so many people to see that to see two people who were both, you know, a one. They were both doing their thing. It wasn't one that was just hanging on the other and and anything like that. They were both pushing it forward, but they were doing so together. They were doing so in a unit as a team. And that's a good thing to see because look, I mean, that's something that you ideally don't want to leave on the table as a, as a, as a uh, tool to improve yourself, to improve your kids, to improve your kids, kids. And that's something that's easy or excuse me, that's simple, but very difficult. Because so much goes into being married, and it's it's not easy to be married. Yeah, but, but, but before that, you need more 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 men that are available at that level. Because the truth is, there's not en- there's not enough right now. I mean, there's not enough black men at that level. It's true. I mean, they have the educational level as many as as, as there are black women. And so, how do but we? No, I'm, I'm not saying we, you get married I, and then you get a college education. I'm saying if you if you raise your ch- kids in a in a family structure where there's both parents, then you can maybe make a difference a generation down the road. Um, and so, and that's not easy. I mean, like I said, that I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying that. You have to be careful anytime you're looking for solutions outside of yourself. Like you have to look for solutions outside of yourself and you have to push for solutions outside of yourself, but you have to also look for solutions that are within or with things within your control or your reasonable control. So with that, what what do you think? And I don't disagree with that, but what do you think is the responsibility for, let's say African-American men that like ourselves and others, I mean, there are others that are doing way better than us, but relative we're doing all right compared to many. Mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. Exactly. You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta show up. You gotta, you know, show people, be, be an example, be, you know, be the change you're trying to, to, to make. You have to show up. You have to, to show people a different way. You know, like if, if all they see is a certain type of success, then if don't be surprised if that's the success they aspire to, you know, but if you show them different types of success, then, Hey, you know, maybe that some will push that direction. Some will push another direction, but at the very minimum, at the very least, it won't be, if, if you want to have success or if you want to move forward, there's only this option. There's only there's only that option. We tell people this and it's like pulling teeth. And I agree with you on the mentoring piece and sit on several boards of mentoring organizations. To get a black male to mentor is a lot easier said than done. Uh, 
I have abs, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies who are white men who will come in and mentor these kids cannot get black men to do it and at least not do it consistently, even if they're not even at that level. Our, the argument is just we need you to be invested. If you're going to be invested once or twice a month, the look on that kid's face and the fact that he can relate to you and your experience in a way that he cannot, this other person, he definitely can't with a woman, and he sure as heck can't with a white male CEO. We're just not seeing black men invest on that level. They are not coming in. It's not that they're not being recruited, being talked to. If there's any messaging you have as a man to give to them or can, you know, take them on a Facebook Live tour of how great it is, whatever we have to do, it is to push them to actually be involved because mentoring organizations across the country are chomping at the bit to try to get them. No, I completely agree. Uh, we all have to do our part. When we talk about eternal vigilance is, is the price of freedom. If you want to make sure more people have opportunity, more people have, uh, you know, a role to play. Those who have had an opportunity have to do more for others. So we have to continue to fight. We have to continue to push forward. There are a lot of great opportunities to go out there uh, and really get involved. If you want to be involved, there's a boys and girls club. I mean, there's urban league has uh, opportunities, there are lots of things to do. I mean, uh, I have seen a difference when I, when I, when I spend time, I try to do it at least a few times a month. And of course, one of the things I try to do is actually, I, I, I think a lot of people, all you guys know this, you might know might not know this, Amisha, but I actually adopted my cousin because I saw where he was heading. He had, he had, to, he has the same potential certainly that I have. And he, they were going to, they were going to, they were going to pretty much keep him out of school. And he had, he had a little bit of trouble. He has no trouble now because he has stability and I saw myself in him. He has a learning disability, and they were going to just say, okay, well, he's just not going to be able to succeed. That's not the case for him. He just needed structure. Um, I, I know there's a lot of black men or black boys that are like Mario, and all of us need to be there to fight for them, to advocate for them. We need more teachers, and uh, we, we need more role models. And I know everybody here is doing their part. But until next time, I'm Rob Richardson. I'm James Keys. I'm Tunde Ramana. And I'm Amisha Cross. We'll see you next time on Disruption Now. Disruption Now.